Hello friends! Welcome to the second season premiere of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. And Happy New Year. I am stoked to be back podcasting. I miss this so much, and we're so happy to have you back. Now, before we break into the episode where I introduce my co-host and our very special guest this week, I just have to do a little housekeeping up front. Now, if you're listening to this the day the podcast drops, you already know. But if you haven't, well, we are now going to be coming out every single Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and Anchor. So I know last year we had a couple different days we were coming out, but we are doing a hard premiere date every single week of Thursday. Now, the, now if you want to get this in your ears the day it drops, please, please, please subscribe on those platforms I just mentioned. And if you're if you got a minute, give us a rating and a review. It helps the algorithm, helps us get out to more people. Now... We are going to be starting this season off like we ended last season. Now, we ended last season with a review series of The Mandalorian, plus some music recommendations. This season, we're kicking things off reviewing the hot new Disney Plus series, WandaVision. And we're going to be giving a pop culture reference, or a recommendation, I should say. Don't worry, there'll be plenty of pop culture references during this episode. Uh, we'll be doing a recommendation, whether it be a podcast, comic book, song, album, movie, TV series. That's going to be happening. So for the next eight to nine weeks, depending on how long WandaVision runs, we are going to be talking about the series. Now, I am joined by the perennial... Hmm, I was going to say perennially but I messed that one up, so sorry. The always grumpy, always reluctant, always tired, but absolutely wonderful managing editor of thepopbreak.com, Mr. Al Manorino. Buddy, I miss doing podcasts with you. <laughs> happy holidays, happy new year. How you doing? Uh, I miss, I've missed you as well. Uh, I don't think I'm grumpy. Uh, You're just grumpy to me I'll, offline. I don't think I'm always grumpy. I think I'm... <clears throat> I think I'm like moderately enthused that you know most most of the time I'm grumpy. I don't know. Well, I think that it goes hand in hand. Half tired. Time? Tired. Yeah, I, I'm tired a lot. So yeah, uh, it's because my sleep schedule is just terrible. Um, but yeah, man, I've I've missed you. I've missed this. I've missed our guest. Our guest will answer the question that Interpol posed to us years ago. How are things on the West Coast? Because he is one half of the California Connection, making his solo debut on the podcast, the mm -hmm. exquisitely named human being known as Mr. Cole Rothaker. Oh, Buddy, thank you. Thank I got you. your name right. I, last time I had you on, I called. I threw an extra R in there, and I apologize. So, glad to have you on. That's right. <laughs> That's quite all right. I have a short last name, and everyone gets it wrong, too, so if it makes you feel any better. Really? Uh, yeah, it's Bodkin, Vodkin, Botkin. No one gets it right. I don't understand uh -huh. why. Six letters. Okay. It's two syllables. So, like I said, guys, we're here talking WandaVision. This is a show we've been waiting for for a very long time, and 
while not originally intended to be the first uh, original Marvel series we saw on Disney+, Plus, of course that was supposed to be, Al, correct me if I'm wrong, the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the first time I've not rec uh, referenced it as the Falcon and the Snowman, which is a movie with Timothy Hutton uh, from the 80s, uh, nothing to do with either of the MCU characters, but... We now have WandaVision dropped on January 15th. Happy birthday, my mom. Um, who will never listen to this podcast, but we are here. So, guys, I'm going to start with a very simple early question. Cole, going to kick it to you first. Okay. Tell me about uh, your anticipation level and your knowledge of what they were going to go for, hopefully, with this series, uh, based on the trailers and heading into the premiere date of January 15th. Uh, yeah, I was pretty intrigued by all the trailers that I saw. I, I especially really like the one they showed in uh, the Disney investors thing. Um, yeah, no, it, it, I thought it was really intriguing. Uh, I, I knew from the comics that those characters were kind of a thing that they had kind of explored in the movie, but... It, in I know in the older comics, you know, they kind of meet up in the Avengers, and then I think they had like a few miniseries of their own, and they've kind of come in and out of the Marvel universe in the comics many times over the decades, and usually something really terrible happens. Um, like, th those characters are very... Uh, when I think of them, I think of tragic elements to, to for both of them uh like i just associate them with tragedy so when i was seeing the trailers for this show uh, i was getting that vibe as well that it looked like they were kind of keeping that theme with them and obviously knowing you know kind of what's happened to where they where we last left them off in the movie obviously uh you know the trailers were intriguing to me because we they really shouldn't be doing what we're seeing them doing and we don't know why they're doing what they're doing so that that to me was a very interesting way to open up a movie or 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 a show for for a marvel thing i don't think they've ever quite done something like that before where like the whole premise of it is a mystery okay uh al to you your uh, anticipation level seeing the trailers i know you're very steeped in the comics so, you know, tell us going into the series, your anticipation level and what you were hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. My anticipation level was probably at like an all time high and uh, not because the show looked amazing from the trailers. I thought it looked really intriguing as a, just a, a student of television and film, like legitimately would take classes on like the history of radio, TV and film, um, especially television history was super interesting to me. So it looked like going into the season based on the, the, the trailers, um, we were going to experience like um, homages to different television, right? Um, we see in the first episode, uh, obviously tribute to the Dick Van Dyke show. And then the second episode uh, as a, a bewitched style episode. So really, really intrigued from that aspect. Then there's the complete other opposite end of why I was excited. This is the official, far, uh, official start of phase four of the MCU. And we, this is the first year since 2008 where we had zero Marvel cinematic content in any shape or form. Um, uh, this is technically not the first series in the MCU. Well, it's the first, like, I guess you would say, 
fictionalized yeah. live action because we did have Marvel Legends drop right before this and Marvel. Well, like, well I was going to say Agent, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter were both set in oh, the MCU. No, I said uh, on Disney Plus. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is obviously the first Disney Plus show, but this is the first series that is made by Marvel Studios from start to finish. Like, there's no like ABC produced television. Like, it's literally a Marvel Studios production. Um, so, I was so excited for that, um, and to see to see it start with WandaVision too. You, you know, you already mentioned that I think Phase Four was supposed to start with Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah. And then Falcon and Winter Soldier immediately followed by WandaVision. Yeah, I think yeah, it was Eternals. supposed to go Black Widow was supposed to be Eternals, like yeah. Memorial Day or early May. Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be a July release. Uh-huh. And we had an, uh, a, a, I think Eternals was August. Eternals was November. Uh, November, sorry. Yeah, I know it was this, the last thing. This was, this was going to be towards end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... I was just excited to get Marvel content again, just to just to, uh, kind of be in that world. And it's funny too. I I just rewatched um, Infinity War and Endgame back to back over the course of a couple of days, um, and it really made me remember why I loved um, Vision and Scarlet Witch. I was excited about WandaVision. It's just like I love the chemistry between uh, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth uh, Olsen, and you really get that, like, when, when, spoiler alert, when Vision dies, gets straight up murdered in um, Infinity War, you're heartbroken for um, for Scarlet Witch. Like, you, they really built that relationship well um, over the course of, you know, five years uh, between Civil War and, you know, all the movies where you got to see their relationship kind of build. So, super, super excited. Um, couldn't be any more excited. For me, I'm unlike you guys, which I will probably repeat this part multiple times during the podcast. I didn't finish out the MCU. I probably stalled out. I mean, I did see Black Panther, but I probably stalled out right after, I'll say, Civil War, just because of life. And I got, you know, stuff happened and couldn't keep up. And then I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just, I'm too far gone. I, I can't keep up. Uh, but I was really intrigued by this uh, and I, but I knew what had happened because spoilers, internet, Twitter, whatever. But seeing this, I just I got, and I'll mention this again multiple times during the podcast. I was just like, oh god, this is Twin Peaks. This is this is Marvel and Twin Peaks, where it's just like taking. And I'll credit our podcast, new podcast editor Alex Marcus, who will be on this series, and he's um, reviewing every week. It's basically looked like what Twin Peaks did with soap operas, this was doing with sitcoms. And I'm like, whoa, this is so out, feels like so outside the box of what Marvel does. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm back in. You got me, guys. And then if if you're someone like me, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, Marvel Legends is a great, quick primer on these characters to just, what you missed, it's going to fill you right in. So you feel like, okay, I, I know what's going to happen. You know, there's yeah. some details and minutia I won't get, but, you know, it's also called looking it up on the internet. So, like, I, you know, I was super hyped for this show because I'm like, this is going to be something different. Even my wife, who barely watched any of the MCU, I remember she saw a trailer because the trailers were everywhere. She's like, I'm very interested in the show. She's like, this looks different. This looks weird. And I'm into that. And I think that's that's a big thing. And I was going to say, but, like, also just, like, leave it to, like, Kevin Feige and company to say, like, you know what? 
You you know the two characters that you barely cared about in any of these movies? Yeah, we're going to resurrect one in some capacity and build an entire TV series out of them. Not even saying like we're going to be weird and experimental on Between Peaks-esque. Yeah. We're going to make a series of these two characters, one of which you thought was dead, and we're going to make you, like we're going to make you love these characters. Like we're forcing this down your throat. And I love them for that. Yeah, they've been, it's super they've been risky. doing that from the get, and it's great. It's a super. It's a very. It was a risky move because you know Marvel. Marvel doesn't have to take risks. They're a household movie. You know, cottage industry. They could do. They could just. You know, everything could be a layup for them, and people are going to eat it up. But the fact that they were just like, hey, let's take these two side characters and give them a show, even though one of them's dead, and is like, and let's put them in sitcoms. That's like. Very risky, you know. So I'm, I'm, I was all for it. So let's start. We got into our kind of like how we were feeling going into this to the series. Let's talk about episode one. We don't have it. We're gonna kind of solidify a format, kind of like we did with the Mandalorian. But since we're tackling two episodes, feeling our way through it, we'll have more specific segments going into this. Let's talk about. That's, you know, the 1950s. It's called episode one, but this is the 1950s. This is the Dick Van Dyke show. And let's talk about the... How you guys felt about them setting it in a very specific time period in this 50s. And, and if you guys have, you know, um, exp- you know history watching shows from the 50s, you know, on reruns, um, how you felt they really hit... Did they hit the aesthetic was, you know... And did this make sense? Like, did you, did you guys, were you digging it? So, Al, I'll start with you. It was a very weird way for me to ask this question, but um, it's also very, it's a, it's a lot to wrap your head around. So, mm-hmm. 1950s, do you think they nailed the vibe of a 1950s sitcom in this episode? Yeah. Um, you know, the great thing is that I, I've said a million times on this show and podcast, whatever you want to call it, that my wife doesn't care about any of this stuff. Like, she's seen maybe a few Marvel movies, maybe. Like, she's just not... She doesn't care. She's not a big uh, geek uh, yeah, or nerd. named your son after Spider-Man, but okay. <laughs> Didn't take much convincing, convincing. She liked the name. But I was like, I, I'm so excited about this show. Do you want? Can you please watch it with me? Not even, like, do you want to? I'm just, like, please do this. And she said, <laughs> yeah. And she was, she was very intrigued. And I was like, I'm not telling you much outside of this guy's dead. And we don't know why he's alive right now. So that's basically the only, like, uh, you know, kind of clue I gave her. And she was just so, like, into it because she grew up watching reruns of, like, I, like, I, I Love Lucy, right? And for me, my background would probably be, like, you know, again, being in class at Rowan learning kind of in this weird way it's like learning the history of television and seeing it by the decade so it's like you know it, it brought me back to that time but like also like Pleasantville like is a great example in terms of like how they nailed it like they, this nailed it um, it really felt like I was watching it and it was cool and it wasn't jarring if you notice from the first episode to the second episode you know no. It wasn't the same but style I'll, format, and they I'll change talk, it up. I'll, I'll talk great. about that when we get to the second yeah, episode for let's, sure. But let's just go back to the first part. Yeah, uh, I think they 100% nailed it. And did you think, but, but they nailed it, or did you see it as more of a, 
Now, obviously, they're sending it up in a bit of a way. Do you think it was an over? The, do you think it was over the top? Because I've seen some criticisms of that. No. It's a little over the top. It's you know very overly satirical. Do you did you see that in any way? I didn't see it as over the top because I wasn't reading them as trying to do it. I was reading into it as. Um, I, I don't know how much spoiler or not spoiler territory we want to get into, but I, I if this is if, if you're this if you're listening to a WandaVision review podcast, yeah, spoilers. Well, if because we don't know right. if this is something that's happening to them and they're seeing it, or this is all in in Scarlet Witch's head. I'm thinking of it as that it's what their interpretation of like if I was in this show, like they weren't they were they were acting like. I can't explain it. I don't know. It's, it might be getting too far out there, but it was just like it's their memory of watching those style shows and then be playing the part. So it felt over the top because it was them like thinking back to it of that time period and not necessarily like do your best Dick Van Dyke impression. I, I, I can't. I, you know I'll, what I mean? I'll expound on that. But uh, Please. Yeah, so I guess... I think a lot of times when people think of like satire and lampooning, there's you can make comedy out of something by going way over the top with it and just being a cartoon character. Like a, as funny as it is, but you know, a Hot Shots part do. Like making fun of action movies or any of like the Abrams Zucker Brother films or some of the later Mel Brooks stuff where everything is so amplified and over the top. I feel like if you don't completely take it seriously and immerse yourself into it, it's not as funny. Yeah. The humor comes in the seriousness of it. They're not like winking at the camera, like wink. Look what we just did. It's just like they fully embraced it, and the humor comes in because they're in on the joke. You know the the, the people in the the show are in on the joke, but they're also playing it to the the fullest extent, honoring that spirit, which makes it funny, in my opinion. Uh, Cole, what's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't think it was trying to be satirical at all. I actually thought it was really kind of trying to be a very straightforward uh, interpretation of those old shows. I mean, the I, I feel like the premise of it, like the way they kind of sell it, where like she's a witch and he's a robot, that actually does sound like a real sitcom that might have been on around back then. Like it just it just sounds like a bunch of nonsense. Um, which maybe is why they, they chose to take it down this route. I mean, I you know, I think one way Marvel's been very successful is kind of taking these kind of weirder characters and ideas and presenting them in a in a way that's very palpable to a wider audience. And I, I feel like that's what they're kind of trying to do here because it is inherently very weird. Like, she's like a super person who like has weird powers that we don't even totally understand and he's like a robot and somehow they're they're together they're i don't know they're they're together in every sense of the word and that's kind of a weird idea to sell for you know kind of a global franchise that's for kids and you know pretty much everybody but uh yeah they i think they found a way to kind of present it in a way that doesn't uh it kind of takes the edge off the weirdness a bit by kind of like embracing it and they're embracing it with like this TV sitcom trope idea. So I'm going to, this is a big jump ahead, but since we're talking about the framework of the show, we're also seeing this again, this is spoilers. You're listening to this podcast because you probably watched the episode already is 
and if you haven't, come back after you've watched it, is at the end of the episode, obviously, we see someone watching this show, this WandaVision, mm-hmm. on, a, on a TV screen. Why do you think they chose, whom, whether wh- whether this is Wanda, whether this is, you know, we've heard, we've seen the sword logo in places, whomever is doing this, whoever's creating this reality, whatever... Why do you think sitcoms is how they went about it? Why why choose sitcoms? Especially through uh, the decades. Yeah, um you know I I I'm not like a huge sitcom guy. Like I, I don't like watch them a whole lot, but there's a few I remember watching growing up and I, I grew up watching them. Like I saw I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke and the Brady Bunch and Batman and all those shows, I watched them because they were on at Nick at Night, and it's because my mom showed them to me. And my mom's from Scotland. And I what? think it's yeah. amazing. I did not yeah. That. yeah. No, and, and something I've learned is that in the UK and in Europe, uh, in all parts all parts of the world, uh, they they are like very into like old sitcoms and, and American shows. Uh, like they love that stuff, especially of a certain generation. Like I think if you grew up in the UK or Europe or Mexico or, or any of these places, you know, you you were you watched a steady diet of American sitcoms from the fifties and sixties. Um, like Scooby Doo and Top Cat are huge in Britain. Like right now, they're huge. Wow. Still. Like Top Cat is. Top Cat. In, we barely talk about Top Cat. Yeah, yeah. In Mexico, no they made a Top Cat movie like two years ago. No one talks about Top Cat. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, they, I hope people. They, I hope there's like a country somewhere that really is into Jabberjaws. Oh yeah, it's it's the UK for sure. Oh, they, I was joking. They love that stuff. Are there any Are there any countries that are just like really big Hong Kong Fooey fans? I was a huge Hong the, Kong. The UK, they, they love Hanna Barbera, like every Hanna Barbera cartoon. Love, love me some Hong Kong Fooey. Loved it too. Yeah. So my my point with all that is, I I think it's very possible that maybe and it's kind of weird because they've never established this, but like maybe Wanda because. My whole theory is I think she's the one creating this uh, this world that everybody's in. Uh, I don't maybe she doesn't quite know that she's doing it or, or something. I, I don't know, but I think maybe it's based on her. You know, she grew up in Sokovia, which they make a point of referencing in the first episode. Um, yes. Maybe she grew up on like a very steady diet of American sitcoms, and that's the only thing. That's the only like through line there that. I can think of. Otherwise, I don't really know why they're doing the sitcom thing, other than like in a meta sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in like full agreement with that. I think you know, uh, you know, Cole went really deep with that, and I thought that was I fantastic. Love it. I love it. But like, just on the broader sense, it's like, all right, right. Well, you know, if this is in her head, or if this is something that they're trying to like, you know, she's maybe in a coma induced, and they're trying to like, you know, keep her active, whatever. You would want her to be in, be with Vision and be happy, right? But at the same time, if it's taking place in present day, you know, where they, you know, a, a post-Thanos world, mm-hmm. you know, it, it may not be believable. But to put her in some form of, like, dream state where she's living out what she has the ideal representation of a perfect married life. Yes. 
that's that's what I see, and I think that's genius that they're you know going through the decades, and of course they can use reruns because you know even though she's probably you know a late '80s child, mm-hmm. um, she has watched reruns her whole life, so she's seen yeah. all of she- these things. If she grew up in the '90s, she definitely watched yeah. all these shows at some exactly. point, like, yeah. like we all did. Yeah, exactly. Especially being, as Cole said, in a foreign country where this is how they're introduced not only uh, to America, this is how they're introduced to English. Yeah. A lot of them are from from watching uh, television shows. So, you know, oh, we yeah. know that she knew English. You know, in Age of Ultron, where she had more of the Sokovian accent, whatever. Um, so. She knew English, so she did she go to school and learn it, or did she learn it like a lot of people do there? Yeah. Yeah, I, my mom pretty much thought America was the Brady Bunch growing up. Like, which, that, is, which is an interesting point, I was going to say, because when you hear about people talking about idealized time, like especially, I'll, I'll try not to get too political for Al, is when people want to talk about an idealized time in America, we pitch it to, what's the show we always pitch it to? It's Leave it to Beaver. We pitch it to mm-hmm. sitcoms because sitcoms are always like these, especially to a certain point, we're always these idealized, most of the time, I should say. Super we're, repressed. Yeah, like, ide- like the idealized mm-hmm. American form of happiness, the nuclear family, the... Pleasantville. Yeah, pleas- yeah, yeah exactly. The plot of Pleasantville. So it's Truman just like... Show, too. Yeah, Truman, Truman yeah, Show, yes. yes. Exactly. Uh, so it's like, here's the here's the, the ideal America, the ideal picture of life, which... Like Cole was saying, and you know, with your bomb, it's like you thought America was the Brady Bunch. It's like people say one was a perfect time, the 50s, because leave it to Beaver. So it's like, okay, I'm going to put it in sitcoms because sitcoms are always like equated to it up to a certain point with idealized perfect families or ideal family situations. Even up to the 80s, you talk to a lot of um, people who are more conservative, I'll just say, put it that way, we're big uh, family ties people. Like, or the Brady Bunch, or this or that. So it's like, it very much fits, like, this golden era of TV or this, like, idealized family. And so the putting Wanda in this idealized situation of being in a family, it kind of makes sense. It's a sitcom because if you think about dramas throughout the year, throughout the decades of TV, it's always, like, police procedurals. It's always, like, violence or negativity, whereas sitcoms, it's always very happy. Where's a laugh track where there's this goofy situations like lobsters flying around and becoming door knockers. Um, you know, like we saw in this first episode that has, you know, that happens and everyone laughs. And at the end of the day, the couple sits together and watches TV. Um, and we have a happy ending until the next madcap episode. So one thing I want to also, next thing I want to go talk to you guys about, we have this, we just talked about this atmosphere of this super positive, super idealized life we see in a sitcom. Do you guys feel that like that is a really great way to really amplify the weirdness and the tension of uh, that we see throughout the episodes? Like this sort of utopia is like the underlyingness that we see with the Stark toaster, the Struker watches. And like these just moments, these shocking moments, is that, do you think guys feel like that really amplifies it? Or are those moments more just so jarring that it, it comes out of left field for you? Uh, Al, you raised your, your hand like yeah. you're in class. I'll so. start real quick. So I, 
I absolutely adored it, and specifically in the first episode because you're you're getting this like um, like I said, Dick Van Dyke show, like perfectly executed comedy, right? Like a great example of which is when you see Vision at his office job, right? And yes. just the, the camera cuts, the the framing, everything's perfect. Like I'm just like I could watch a whole series of just this. And then they get to the dinner scene where the um, Vision's boss and his wife, played uh, by uh, the uh, kitty from that 70s show. Which is yeah. So it's Deborah Jo Ryan, who's, who's yeah. the, uh, the mom, uh, yes. uh, Topher Grace's mom on that 70s yeah. show. And the, the, her kitty. husband is Fred Malamud, who's been in a million things, but most recently he was Schmidt's, he was in, when, in Schmidt's wedding in New Girl. He's been in a million things. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Cy Abelman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's amazing. Um, no, so when they get to there, and it's the, uh, 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 damn it, why? Whatever, like the, the, the scene where it's like him, like, almost like, it's like kind of like malfunctioning a little bit, and it's showing these camera cuts to all four of the guests mm-hmm. that would have never been in the 50s television show. Like, oh, yeah, so... The filmmaking language completely changes. It goes from it goes from 1950s to modern. Yeah, right. and what does and she and what does so, she say at the table? She's just like, everything's gonna be fine, or just oh, stop it, or uh, something. I, like, yeah, I think she stop it. I think she says stop it. Stop. Like she's saying yeah. stop to him, but then she, I think she starts talking more towards Wanda with like a more. Uh, like she, she's it's a bit more uh, frantic after a while. Yeah, like she's asking Wanda to stop it. It's almost like it's a glitch, right? And you know, we see it. You, you guys can see my background, uh, obviously. You two, I mean, um, yes. of that glitching effect, which is not from the Vision comic series written by Tom King. It's actually kind of pulled from his buddy Mitch uh, Garrod's run, uh, their together run on uh, Mister Miracle. Uh, where it's kind of showing the fabric of reality of of, of Mr. Miracle's reality, you know, uh, not all that it seems, right? Yeah. So they pulled that right. They kind of, you know, uh, got a lot of different things. Obviously, all the television shows, and then these two runs by Tom King for two different publishers. So um, I was expecting that. I don't know about you, Cole, but I was expecting to see this poster, this kind of effect. Yeah, the show in some capacity, but the way that they're doing it with the visual language, as you said, like that's cool. Like I'm a big yeah, fan. yeah, because we don't really see really much of that glitching effect until uh, the second episode, right? I, I can't remember if anything really happens yes, in the first episode. You do. It happens in the Stark toaster commercial, where there's a right. small, I want to say, red light on the toaster, yeah. and it's like it's very like. It's very pronounced. It's very obvious, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm just like it I, stands out. Yeah, I'm like I yeah. don't know why this is happening. But by, by the way, that's the reason why the theory that this is all in in um, uh, Scarlet Witch's mind, Wanda's mind. The reason that that theory holds super true is the two commercials. Stark. She has a very, very, very specific history with the Starks. Mm-hmm. Yes, she does. And and Strucker another yeah. deep, deep history. To see those two commercials like that, I'm like, oh, that's what they're doing. Very cool. 
I thought um, the, the, the moment I noticed it was actually when he's in the office, when he's at his job, and he's just like, what do we do here? Yeah. <laughs> what is our purpose? And they're like, oh, we compute things. And it's almost like, I'm just like, oh, man, this is just like they're reading out of a dream where it's like you can't read the book. You just dropped in. You can't remember how you got there or how you mm-hmm. you left. And, yeah, it was just very much like, yeah, a little Inception vibe. It's just like I don't really know how I got here, but I just dropped in. And I yeah. honestly thought that was a – I'm glad that you read it that way because that's definitely how it was probably supposed to be read. I read it as a joke on – the 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 jobs of husbands in those fifty television oh, shows. No, yeah. it was very that's funny in that I, way too. That's what I read it. And also, I think it could be both. I, I felt very seen because I've had a lot of people ask me, "Was like, what's your full time job?" And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I do stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like it's like it's the Friends joke. Uh, what's uh, Chandler's or Transponster? Uh, 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 transponsting transponster. Exactly, and it's like specifically. Yeah, um, that's not his actual job title. That's what Rachel thinks his job is. Right, and so well, you would know because you've seen. We, it we, I would know. Yeah, you would. Know. You had your engagement cake was a friend's reference, so uh, there's <laughs> multiple friends references. That's true. Um, let's so you know, like we did in the the Mando series, let's talk about our guest stars in this one because yes. I we don't know if we're gonna see these characters come back. So they're the most notables in episode one. Of course, we just mentioned them, uh, Fred Melamud and Deborah Jo Rupp. Talk about, uh, Cole, I'm going to start with you. Talk about what how you think they played into this, you know, 1950s setting and in this ep- and interacted, you know, with uh, our two leads. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think those specific actors were cast just because I think they do have a lot of... Uh, TV sitcom experience. Uh, I think people associate them mostly with being in TV shows and, and things like that. Uh, I, I don't know if we are if we will see them again I, because the way I'm kind of reading this show is like everybody that's there is like imprisoned somehow or or they're being made to do these things against yeah. their will. So you know maybe they're I. I guess I don't really know who they're supposed to be in, in real life, but I, I'm not sure. I'm really anticipating they'll come back in, in any significant way, but it, it wouldn't surprise me either. It, 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 watching the whole first episode, it felt like everybody that was in it, everything that everybody was doing, all of it seems kind of like mundane or, or you know, like not really something you notice on first view, but I think when the whole series comes out and we kind of see what the whole nature of everything is we'll go back and watch these first few episodes and see like oh that's why this person was there or that's why they were doing this or why they said that you know that's kind of that's the impression i got from pretty much everybody that showed up like they they're just they hold clues that like we can't really discern yet al yeah, um, specifically talking about the guest stars, I, I I loved I loved everyone uh, involved so far. You know, specifically the two that we we mentioned the dinner scene because they played it so well. Specifically, go, going to that dinner scene where they're in charge of basically breaking our brains for a little bit, and that takes talent. Like that's you know that's very Twin Peaksian. You know, very you know, um, you know, and, and also kind of remind me of like something like Get Out. 
in terms of like it was a very get out moment like get, you know mm-hmm. so um i thought they nailed it um you know I, I think we'll have a larger conversation about the recurring uh cast member um well that's that going to be my transition that's going to be my next Perfect. segment uh for me yeah i loved it uh i feel like we're going to see the boss i think we're going to see uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Cy Abelman. I think we'll see him a few more times just because he is the boss. We've seen his co-workers out in, in the real world in episode two. So I feel like we'll see him again. Um, but I'm, yeah, like, Cole, you brought up a really interesting point. It's just like, are these just, like, creations that are just part of this whatever reality? Mm-hmm. Or are they someone connected to Wanda's past? Are they currently in Wanda's present? I, I I think everybody there is like a, a living person and yeah, I feel like they're whatever is going on, whether it's Wanda or someone else doing it, I feel like they've been imprisoned somehow. Um, I, I feel like they're, wherever they are, um, did you guys ever see that movie Annihilation? Uh, yes, I uh, came home after a pop break show, uh, completely hammered and saw, yeah. walked in on the scene where they're trying to get it at the alien out of uh, that guy's guts. Yeah. Scarred for life. Yeah, no, it's a it's a especially when you're movie. <laughs> yeah, no, but I I feel like what's happening in this show is kind of similar to what was happening in that movie where there was like this area in Florida where like basically nature was being affected and there's like one point where you know you're outside of it and you're in normal the normal world nature as we know it is fine but then you walk into i think they called it the shimmer or whatever and then like the rules of the laws of physics and everything was just upended and it had like kind of mutated everything within it or or, like done crazy things to anybody who had like walked into it i i feel like that's what's happening in this show, I, I don't know if these people are like all agents or if they're all like innocent uh, people that just lived in like a town somewhere and suddenly now everything's in a sitcom world. But I, I feel like that's kind of what's going on. I feel like all the prominent people that we're seeing, like are, our like our next person, Catherine Hahn, which we're going to talk. Catherine about. Hahn obviously um, put Catherine Hahn in everything and yeah. anything she's amazing yeah. I, yeah. I love her. not her first marvel thing i as a joke i said to somebody i'm like imagine she's just doc ock and that'd be weird oh yeah she's she's the voice of uh, no the i mean like doc in the show she's just yeah. doc ock that would be amazing no um yeah i think that i think that the, the people that we're seeing in the town um are you know if they're being if if scarlet witch is being held captive somewhere then these are all like agents of sword or aim or whatever, right? Like I think that would be AOL that. Yeah. What? How is it AOL Instant Messenger? That's weird. No, not, <laughs> that's not where AOL they went. Um, but yeah, again, you're going. To, that's kind of that Truman Show effect. Yeah. Or uh, you guys, have you guys ever seen Dark City? That's it. That I kept. There was something nibbling at the back of my head, and I'm just like, there is a movie. Uh, yeah. Keeper Sutherland. Just... It's so good. I just thought of it, yeah, where they all think they're in, like, this yep. noir movie, but, I, I mean, they don't, I, I think they kind of leave it ambiguous in the movie, but I think you're almost supposed to think that they're basically, like, 
uh, like they're like Star Trek people, like people on the Enterprise that got kidnapped by these aliens, and now they're living in this like weird, like fantasy world that these aliens have created. It's it's a bit like that. Dark Star is very very uh, awesome yeah. awesome pull, very yeah. underrated. Um, yeah, I mean you can also say that? like. What's it called, too, would be uh, a good example. Source code. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the other one. That's the other one with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Vera Farmiga. Yes. Uh, that's a, what's his name, a Duncan Jones movie. Uh, Rufus yes. Sewell is the star, uh, and Kiefer Sutherland star in uh, Dark City. I could not remember the other actor, but yeah. Possibly Jennifer Connelly, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about Catherine Hahn, who literally seemed born to play in a 1950s sitcom <laughs> yeah. she was just there for the comic relief but i really think she's the person we see at the end of the episode watching the season watching it all unfold i feel like she's the person who's directly monitoring or in control of wanda in some way i feel like she's anytime she needs something she's kind of there and i feel like her and another character we'll get into the second episode, I feel like is are very closely tied to Wanda, whether for good or bad. What, yeah. do, you, what do you guys think of the performance and maybe just a little theory on who this character is? Uh, Cole, start uh, with you. Uh, no, I, I think she's she's great. Uh, I think she steals every scene that she's in. And yeah, there's, there's something very odd about her character. Um, and... I, I think they said her name is Agnes in the show. Oh. And yeah, I, I, I think so. And that kind of, that raised a flag for me because I know in the comic books, I don't really know exactly the whole storyline, but I know in the comic books that uh, Wanda has this kind of mentor or kind of like a surrogate mother figure named Agatha Harkness, who's like a witch. Uh, or, or something like that. Uh, I think she, she's like a Fantastic Four villain or something at one point. And then she like kind of takes Scarlet Witch under her wing. And she's just like straight up, I think, like a witch from like the Salem witch trial era. And she is alive and, you know, today. I don't know if she's exactly that character, but I feel like she maybe is like some sort of amalgamation or a reference to her. Cause I do know in the trailers, they, uh, vision walks up to her on Halloween and she's dressed, dressed as like a, witch. a witch. Yeah. I do like that a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause, Cause I, you know, it's, and, and I guess some, you know, w with the way she's acting, like in, she is perfect for a 50 sitcom. Cause that's like, if you watch any 50 sitcom, they always had that, very dramatic, very over the top, gonna make jokes about how my husband doesn't care character. So she definitely hit that like perfectly. And I'm really excited to see how this character is gonna evolve through the decades. I think it's gonna be really cool. Um, Al, your thoughts, uh, you mentioned a little bit about Catherine Hahn and her performance, but you know, just expound on that and what you think her character is gonna be, could possibly be in the series. Yeah, I think Cole totally nailed it. Um, I, I think it's been long rumored and maybe even confirmed that she is Agatha Harkness, right? So, um, what well, as of now, they just say she's Agnes, so so I don't know. Maybe it's, been, it's supposed to be a reveal. It's been long speculated that it's yeah. her. Um, so I think that is definitely the thing that they're going to go for. Um, 
She's a Fantastic Four villain. I don't know a lot about the character. I know that she has a history with Scarlet Witch, so it makes total sense. The fact that they picked her to play her is just revolutionary. I mean, I just, I love Catherine. Like, when they do this, like, quote-unquote, like, stunt casting, like, um, where, you know, they, they pick someone that you may not think is a good fit or, you know, they've been typecasted as one role, um, you know, Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, most recently, uh, what's her name, from SNL in uh, Kristen Wig. Kristen Wiig. Um, I feel like this is that that same scenario, right? Like, Catherine Hahn in like a, you know, in a Marvel movie, like, is she going to be very comedic? Is she, you know, like, but we saw from her voice acting in, in Spider-Verse, like, just perfect. Because she's got this quality of, like, I'm your friend, I'm here for you, and can flip on a dime. I think she's got that kind of nailed. So I think that's perfect casting, honestly. And uh, Yeah, I don't see yeah. this as stunt casting, too. Because if, if anything, if Catherine Hahn has shown us post-Bad Moms, is like, she's taken on a number of big-time HBO and Amazon shows that have been deadly serious. Mm-hmm. So I think she's really shown that she's like a five-tool player. Like, she, you could just plop her in anything, and she's going to kill it. Love the love the Moneyball reference. Well, I mean, it's it's a lot of references, but you know, anytime we can bring up Moneyball, Oscar nominated best picture, best movie about baseball ever. Um, let's best sports movie. Oh, well, maybe. Um, I just have to think about it. Uh, so <laughs> let's move into episode two. So we shift to the 1960s. Now, did you guys pick up? You know, we that everything changed about the decor right away. Yeah, it was. It wasn't the decor again. It was the. It's the 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 way they filmed it. Well, it's right? also the house is different. Again, that stuff kind of go went over my head. The first thing I saw was just the, um, the 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 camera work changed. The the scenery changed. The way that they filmed being outside changed. Like those things, you know, you're used to sets, right? You're used to these like sets in the fifties. The house, the job going back to the hat like the way they did that in the second episode of showing oh here's the town here is um the where they meet the library or wherever uh vision yeah like seeing those individual places that's what was like oh we're in a totally different era yeah I, i they also filmed i think some scenes that took place like outdoors and at a real place like they go to like a a country club or something at one point, and they're I, in like it looked a like town square, I think. And oh yeah, they go to a country club pool, and then the yes. town shows almost like in the town square. Yeah, yeah. When when they went to the country club, that to me felt a bit more 1960s because I think in the 1960s they actually would go occasionally film, not on a set, but like you know on location somewhere. They, I don't think they did that as much. In the 1950s, I think they were. I re, the first episode felt like it was just in that house and at the job, and you never went anywhere outside of that. But it looked like they were in real outdoor places in the second episode. That's what I noticed, at least. Okay. Uh, let's talk uh, some cam. Let's talk. Um, gonna jump a little bit here because I mean, we talked about the vibe in the first episode. Let's talk about the. We got some. We got a pretty big um, character introduction here. 
of course, we that is going to be, and I don't want to butcher the name, so, uh, Tiana Paris, who's playing, uh, well, playing Geraldine. She's a neighbor in this one, and who's running this neighborhood meeting? Why, Emma Caulfield, who you might remember from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I just uh, kept looking uh, at her, I'm just like, why do I know you? And lo and behold, there she is, Anya who is married to Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So let's talk about these two characters. Um, uh, Cole, I'll start with you. Talk about, uh, you know, this, let's talk about the Emma Caulfield character first, because she had, uh, in her scene too, had some very, probably long-lasting, um, you know, moments here that we're going to see paid off later on. Yeah, no, like I said earlier, I think she's one of those characters where, she's in a certain role and she's doing things and like, we're kind of taking it within the context of her being like this sort of an archetype character in a sitcom where she's kind of like the, uh, I, I, she's sort of like a nemesis, I guess, or yeah, her, she plays know. a character named Dottie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I think, and, and I, I think it's significant that like, you know, she has that Joss Whedon connection and like, compared to some of the other actors maybe she's had a bit more of a a career in tv but it, it feels like she might be somebody like a like a sword agent or or something revealed later on but i think right now it's not totally clear uh what her deal is but it, it feels like she'll be significant down the line um yeah some people saying she might be a character named clea uh, from Doctor Strange, Leia. Cle- well, it's, it's spelled C. Oh, 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 Clea. Yeah. Uh, she's from yeah, the Dark Dimension. That's interesting. Because she definitely seemed to kind that's... of because the way she talked to Wanda, like she kind of, it wasn't like she was like the Catherine mm-hmm. Hahn character where she was kind of like, I'm here just to make sure everything's in order. It's more of like I know things, and I don't trust you. So yeah. could she already be, like you were saying, could she be someone who's imprisoned there or being held there and she's somehow worked her way into Wanda's mind? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that's really interesting. Al, what's your, what's your thoughts on the Dottie character, who we also see cut her hand open, which is the first, we see uh, the, the blood coming out of there. Which is oh, another yeah, huge, huge color moment. Which we see a number of color moments in this episode, which I'm going to bring up right after we get through the characters. Al, you need to turn your mic on. Yeah, no, I felt that. I felt that when we got into the second episode, there were obviously just like, it's getting stronger. Whatever's breaking through is getting stronger. It's enhancing, right? So. The, the color changes, the just someone getting hurt and it's showing it, like the graphicness of that was just like, t- you know, took you out. It was a bit startling, of, yeah. Yeah. Because so, the first thing we saw, well, let's just bring it up. The first thing we saw was the helicopter in the bush. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we see the, then we saw the blood. I don't remember if we saw any other, well, I'll say the end. Yeah, no, um, for sure. And I, I, I feel that um, the two characters in this one being again um that uh, starts with a d dotty dotty yes dotty dotty was the way that she was talking was you know kind of 
to Wanda and not to this version of Wanda, like to the real Wanda, if the, you know, however you want to put it. And then Geraldine, who I believe is supposed to be Monica Rambeau. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know that she is not Geraldine. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting that in the first, the you know, you she's obviously a, a character, a, a, a person of color. And she was very prominent in the 60s and not in the 50s version. So I thought that was kind of interesting because that's when uh, people of color would, you know, get more on screen time. You also saw that in his co-workers of the Neighborhood Watch, too. Correct. So, you know, that was very interesting the way that they kind of introduce her. And she is almost like she doesn't know why she's there, which I thought was really interesting, introducing this other character. And... I also like um, the fact she basically recycled her wardrobe and hair from Mad Men. Because if you don't remember, that actress yeah. played Don Draper's secretary. Which I'm just sitting yeah. there, I'm just like, why do I know you? Why do you look so perfect in this role? I'm like, oh, she was Don Draper's secretary for Oh my god, seasons. do you think that they actually casted her because of that? I mean, she's also uh, a really good actress. Yeah. No, but that's just, that's interesting. Um, Probably her biggest role they know her from. Certainly, yeah. yeah. Very true. Um, no, so just but but like going back to it, I feel like that both of these characters, you guys have nailed it. Like they're both super important. Obviously, one we already kind of know about, but this one, the uh, Dottie character seems to be very important in some capacity to what is going on. I also like how they're recycling people, right? So the like it's not different people in each decade of television. It's the same people in different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So, I'm just kind of like enamored about like the the way that they're telling this story. And I know yeah. this is getting more into the last segment, but yeah, I, I, I'm very interested yeah. in the way that they're telling the story because it's a mystery, but it's wrapped in kind of this other mystery. Like I don't know, you're 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 trying to figure out where she is, how's Vision alive? Like there's so many different like. What's going on? Why? Why yeah. is it happening like this? Um, so let's and, talk about the yeah. the other mystery, which was now we're seeing the color. What do you guys think the significance of the color red is? Because that's the only color we have seen come through in the first two episodes. Why is red an important color? Is that true? I feel like I want to because the red came in on the Stark toaster. Mm-hmm. Red came in on the helicopter. Was it only red the helicopter? Red... I thought it was yellow. Maybe it had some yellow on it. I think it was red and yellow. Um, no, it could have been yellow. I mean, I mean, the the first thing I think of is just Scarlet Witch. Like, her color is just okay. red. Like, yeah. that's, her, that's her whole color. And Vision, and Vision's color of his is yeah, very but, similar. Yeah, um, yeah. that's true. But I feel like we, color, yeah. color, there has to be a deeper meaning. Because at the end of the second episode, Wanda, they, it, yeah. Wanda turns kind of brings color into frame and you're now in the seventies, right? So you're in the seventies now in some and she's capacity. pregnant. Pregnant. Preg- uh, well, let's get, let's, let's stick to color per, for a second. Per, pergnat or pregnante, depending on the, Oh, you guys yep. have never seen that video. I have to send that to you. It's the best. Anyway. It's really just more of like the way I read it was the glimpses of color were oh i didn't know i could make this world colorful 
Like, it was more of like a... And then she's like, oh, well, let's just change everything, shall we? Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's having... Oh, so this wasn't... So you're saying it's not something breaking through. It's her mind realizing what she could do within the world. Yeah, I feel like she can can control what's going on. And the fact that she became pregnant instantaneously, and not just pregnant, but showing, is kind of backing that up in the sense that, like, oh, I can have the perfect world that I want? Let's go. Like, that's how I felt. And then backs it up when we see the beekeeper come out. And she yeah. goes, no, and then replays the whole scene, then brings the color in. Yes, exactly. But, Cole, do you think that's... Do you, do you agree with that theory, or do you have something uh, alternative for that? Uh, you know, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that... That that would not surprise me if that's what was going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the the color red really has any. I don't know why the things that we've seen colored are are colored. Um, but I'm sure we'll we'll learn as the series goes on. I'm not sure what the deal is with the Stark toaster. I feel like the the toy helicopter. I feel like that was maybe an actual helicopter or a drone that they sent into this area where Wanda's or, or where reality seems to have uh, warped. And so, like, when it enters that area, it becomes like a toy helicopter or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think Al's theory there is, is pretty interesting. Though. I, th- I think that could be kind of what is going on that she's kind of. Because I feel like she, why we're seeing this world the way it is, I do feel like it's her doing, but I'm not totally convinced she's conscious of it or aware of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe as the series goes on, she starts to learn more of what she can do. Because it's even kind of beyond what we've seen her do in the movies. Well, let's let's briefly talk about the commercials again, because I, I, I do want to reiterate why I think we're seeing those is because... Mm-hmm. It goes back to what Cole initially said. It's like, if this is the way that she grew up, like watching reruns, learning to learning English, all that kind of stuff, right? Then there is some kind of association with that and the commercial breaks between these, right? Uh, between these shows. So there's that aspect. And then going to that, it's like kind of internal world building. So it's like Stark. Um, her parents were killed by Stark weapons. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's her brain kind of filling in. It's almost like her brain telling her that something's not right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like yeah. try, it's like trying to give her clues as to like that. And same thing with Stroker. She became enhanced. Her and her brother, uh, R.I.P. Quicksilver, became enhanced by. Uh, uh, Stroker. I always forget his first Stro- name. Stro- Baron Strucker. Baron Strucker. Baron Strucker. Because there's also Baron Zemo, too. Zemo's, yeah, he's yeah, in... Uh, uh, Zemo, Baron... Uh, okay, Baron Strucker. Uh, he's that guy. So, I can never remember his name from the Glorious Bastards. Civil War. Daniel um, Brule. Daniel Brule. Daniel Brule. Um, obviously, Strucker is not a watch manufacturer, but there could be a connection between that and time? Maybe? So... That, that felt like a weird reference to, like, uh, just post-war yeah. Americana, just how, you know, they had the Nazis come and build all kinds of things for 
Americans. It, it felt kind of like a weird tip of the hat to that, but also, yeah, that, Wasn't that there might the also... Hydra logo on the watch? Yeah. Yes. yes that was fucking Hydra, awesome. It's like Hydra's watching, I want to say. Like, the pun is there. It's so great. But here's, yeah. here's my question. It's a little off base, but we've, been, we've mentioned the family a number of times. Do you think we get a Quicksilver cameo or a Quicksilver episode? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, uh, that's Paul what ben, I'm thinking. Yeah, Paul Bettany said there's someone that's going to show up at some point that's going to really surprise fans. That's cool. And yeah, I, I think you might see Quicksilver, but I think we might see Evan Peters as Quicksilver. Oh, why do you think Evan Peters? I don't know. I, I just—it's kind of my crazy theory. But I did see—I did see today that the guy that dubs Evan Peters' voice in Spanish language stuff for the X Men movies—he uh, posted that he did work on this, so it's oh, possible. I—I'm um, I, I, not—I—I like, I do like his version of Quicksilver a little better than Aaron Taylor Johnson. I was a little more yeah. Imagine if it's like, well, because both obviously, <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Imagine that it's both of them because this is, you know, the sitcom. Everyone's saying that, well, yes, but everyone's saying that this is a lead in to Scarlet Witch being in Doctor Strange 2, the multiverse yeah. of madness, right? So this, they said that, yeah. yeah. That's how yeah, they announced one that's, that's, right. that's yeah. a thing. So, like, if this is some sort of multiverse connection, which it will be, kind of perfect to be able to introduce both of them. Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson, and there would yeah. be some sort of wacky sitcom thing where like they're twins and everyone gets them confused or mistaken identity. You know what I would love, honestly? Perfect Strangers, of course. No, I would love to see either '80s or '90s television where they recast. Oh yeah. The brother. Oh yeah. my god. How fucking cool would that be? Within an episode. Yeah, that too. would that wouldn't surprise me. Oh man, I I. Very happy that I just came so, up with that. Let's let's talk about another thing that happened, the radio. So we hear Randall Park, who's an FBI agent that we saw in yeah. Ant Man versus the Wasp, who's got a very distinct voice. I would have recognized that voice even if I didn't wasn't mm -hmm. told who he was. Um, that's great. Um he's Good coming use through of the his, beach boys. Was that oh yeah, that's right. And he's coming through, he's like, Wanda, who's doing this to you? Who's doing this to you? Let's just talk about that. Like, how are we you know what, what is this tying into? I, I this is all a little weird. Is this is this something that happened in another movie where he said this line, or is like, no. or is this, or is he finding Wanda and trying to get her out of this? Can he mm -hmm. communicate with her? What's our theories here? I think I'm gonna. Kind is of he a Beach Boy? I'm speaking for Cole on this one in the sense uh, that that's bold. In the sense that I feel that who's doing this to you is Agatha Harkness. I, I, I think, oh, I think right. that's the move. I think it's Agatha Harkness working for, or is already a part of, Sword. one of these organizations because they now they're mentioning a bunch to throw you off the scent, right? So you see the Sword logo, you see the Hydra logo. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't there an AIM reference as well somewhere in here too? I don't I, remember that. Maybe, I, think, I don't know. I, I don't even know what more. AIM is to be honest with you. It's another one of the one of those like. All I know, keep saying in all those the 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 stuff about the series is sword. That's all I'm saying. Because there's a sword logo, logo on the screen in the at the end of the and first the one. And the beach. But yeah. I think 
I think there's some sort of aim reference too, but let's, let's just get past that for a minute. Um, so yeah, like I think she's being held captive or whatever, however she, however her present state is a post endgame version of her. I think he's trying to reach out in some capacity. Um, by the way, Bill, I know that you have not seen neither Ant-Man nor Ant-Man and the Wasp. And like, no, my, my goal this year, I, I told yeah. Ken Cole before we came on the air, I'm finishing the MCU this year. Great. Because I am going to do it. You said something like right at the, 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 the beginning of the podcast where you said, like, you know, the way that they went into this, like, Twin Peaks vibe, you know, kind of not, you know, they don't, they don't have to do these things, but they do it anyway. Yeah. Ant-Man was one of the first movies that, in the MCU, where they did that, in the sense it's like, hey, you're used to seeing a Marvel movie in this way. Guess what? We're doing a heist movie. And that's Ant-Man. Like, and then they kind of, like, Ant-Man was one of the first ones to do that. You could, you could argue Guardians too. Yeah. Sorry, Guardians, the original one. But in the sense yeah. that it's like, we are going to do a different genre within our genre. So that this is like Ant-Man yeah. connection. I love Randall. Randall Park was in the second Ant-Man. Yes. ant Wasp. And he is one of the best parts um, in a movie that's kind of uh, cluttered with talent. Yeah. So let's let's move on to. Now, does the beekeeper have any? Well, I was going to say I wanted to hear. I mean, I spoke for Cole, oh, but Cole can speak for himself as well if he wants to add anything to that. And yeah, I have not mentioned the beekeeper, Cole. Your turn. Uh, wait, what were, what were we talking about? So we're talking about, about <laughs> Randall, Randall Park, how, yeah. how his character is getting through, uh, or, right. Ryan, or some sort of theory with that, and then basically we're going to start talking about the beekeeper, because that's something people had mentioned online that I was like, I have no frame of reference to this. I, you know, I have no idea who the beekeeper is. I, I kind of tried looking that up. I, I can't really find any significant connection to any of the comic books that I'm aware of. Um, but yeah, the whole thing with Randall Park, I think th- that is really why I kind of think this is basically Annihilation, but uh, like Nick at Night as well. Um, I, I think Wanda is in a town and she's like warped reality around it. And so this is basically like this bubble where you're in 2021 or, or whenever the MCU yeah. is meant to take place. Uh, but then when you walk into that bubble it's now 1950s america and everybody is acting in, in like they're in like this weird twilight zone type scenario um and i i think and we've seen like kind of some indication of it in some of the trailers i i think sword is some organization that uh is monitoring this or trying to like get through or, or to you know stop it from happening because maybe it has some sort of Maybe there's some adverse effect going on, or or maybe you know they just maybe all the people in this town are just innocent people who have been kind of inadvertently caught up in it and are kind of imprisoned in there to a certain degree. Um, and yeah, I think that was him trying to get through to Wanda because um, we also know that that Monica Rambo in this show is a sword agent, so I feel like she yeah. must have been sent in there and. But because she's now in like this world, it it casts this effect on people where they now like they forget who they are. They have like no control over like what they do or how they act. Absolutely. Uh, 
let's talk about um, our. Oh, Alice, do you have any connection about the beekeeper? Like, is that a character, any significance, or is that just was that like, oh, she can control? And she says no. I have zero idea, and I actually don't even want to look into it because I I want to be surprised. Um, People have just, pointed out that he's a sword agent because he has the, the logo, logo on his back. Yeah, so that makes sense in that sense. Um, uh, I'm totally for that. One thing we haven't discussed is we're going to wrap this part of the podcast up is we haven't really talked about our leads and Paul Bettany and, and Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, let's just uh, just open your thoughts on them. Call, I'll start with you. Just their performances in these two episodes. Oh, they're, they're so excellent. Um, they're, they're really, they're taking the whole concept of this show and just going with it. Um, you know, they're not really trying to do it ironically or anything like that. Like, I, I really feel like they're trying to just inhabit the sort of characters you'd see in these shows. Um, and, you know, and, and but also, you know, kind of taking what we've seen of them in the MCU and bringing aspects of their characters into that, uh, you know, it's it kind of creates this version of the characters that has this very interesting dichotomy uh, and... And I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just, uh, it, even though like they're kind of playing spoof versions of their characters, it feels like There's the most, yes, it's like the most genuine we've, we've really seen of them because we have seen them together in the movies, but kind of in small doses and always kind of like, you know, as sort of side plots. But now that we're actually getting to follow them in this series, and even though they're kind of doing it and, this like weird context it, it feels like they they inhabit the characters better than ever and like i said earlier when i think of those characters i think of tragedy and, and they're i think they're really they're bringing that in like very subtle ways there's there's something very sad about them and i don't think we quite understand why yet but it's there and they're great I would also like to point out on the video right now that Cole also has a Wawa either mug or travel mug behind him, and I am all about. Oh yeah, him. all oh, about. Oh yeah, him. my bro- my brother got it for me for Christmas. Oh, Excellent. I know that's the new retro design that they have. I, I have to get that. As yeah. do I. Wawa's that's great. great. Um, Al, your thoughts on performances in the episode by our lead actors? It's it's crazy, like how good they are in these respective formats that they did. Like I could watch Paul Bettany at this this no-name job that he had, like, all day. Like, he just was loving it. Like, both of them were just perfect, perfect in it. Um, Because the time that we got with them is, like, as Cole said, like, they're very tragic characters. You know, the whole, you know, one of the biggest plot points of Infinity War and Endgame is, you know, the, the the loss of vision, right? The loss of uh, Paul Bettany's character um, in in Infinity War. He's basically like, you know, out of commission the whole movie. And you know, we get his, you know, uh, we don't, we actually don't get his return. He's straight up not in Endgame, but we get to see Scarlet Witch's, um, you know, her reaction to that, her pain, her suffering. Um, you know, at the end of Endgame is is is, is on you know is in full force. 
So to see them in a completely different light than in like total bliss and happiness and them just being normal people uh, or robots, however you want to see it, is just so refreshing and they've completely embraced it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, when you hear that Paul Bettany, you know, was really channeling Dick Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke consulted on this show. It's like, aside of Paul Bettany, we never really see. We always see him more of stoic, not just in as the Vision character, but throughout his career. We don't see Paul Bettany in too much physical comedy, and if he does, no one's really seen those, or they weren't great movies to begin with. But he was amazing. He also, he's six foot three, but looks like he's Andre the Giant height. He looks like <laughs> the biggest man alive. Um, Elizabeth Olsen, first time I ever saw her was an indie film called Martha Marcy May Marlene. Where it's about mm-hmm. this woman who's like, uh, she's like in a cult and just like trying to like come out of it, and like the whole time there's a lot of questions who's who's on her side and who's not, and she was amazing. I'm like, she's a great actress, and I think we're we're seeing more of that in coming out because, like I said, Wanda's been a side character, you know, so she's just she just owns it and she runs with it, and I think Cole, like you said, right now we're getting the comedy. I think that tragedy is going to come. It's gonna oh, yeah. suck <laughs> because it's gonna be really oh, tragic. Yeah. I, I I think can I say like what my theory of what's Absolutely. gonna happen? Absolutely. I mean you're not you're gonna be on the podcast again, so don't worry, but please say it. Yeah, I mean I, I just wanna say I feel like by the end of this show, uh I think she'll become a villain and I think she will be like kind not like an evil person, but I think she will be the antagonist of Doctor Strange and the multiverse Whoa. of Madness. I had not expect that but all right okay so just by the way cole's talking we're gonna get me and him we're gonna get really nerdy right here <laughs> literally cole all good. the way that you're saying this you're basically saying that we're gonna get into some sort of house of m scenario yeah yeah, yeah. i feel well, like I mean, it's that's what's kind of happening right yeah. now almost yeah yeah so bill <laughs> is gonna educate you a tiny bit but not much. i've heard of the book Great. So there was a there was a, a series in the early two thousands uh, called House of M. It was like a, a a big event series that happened in the Marvel universe. Basically, what started it off is Elizabeth. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> Elizabeth uh, Scarlet Witch's character Wanda. Um, she basically utters the words "No more mutants," and that eliminates about ninety nine or something percent of the mutants in uh, all of the Marvel universe. So um, there is. Oh, I do talks. remember this. Yes. So there are talks, rumors, speculation that this is the way that they're going to introduce mutants into the MCU because uh, it's a perfect opportunity to kind of flip the storyline on its head. You know, they had to refer to Wanda and Pietro as enhanced because they could, couldn't legally use the word mutant. Yeah, they could, because they originally could, they're supposed to be Magneto's kids. Yes, but that's even been retconned in yeah, uh, current communi- uh, continuity. But like they, they don't have to go that far back, but just right. the, the fact that they were mutants uh, originally. So uh, they're thinking that this could be... I don't I don't know. It would be fucking cool. Like I mean, it's a great way to do it. You know? Yeah. But yeah. the way that I would see them doing it is in vain of how they would tease stuff very early on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Example, um, Agent Sitwell in Winter Soldier, one of the maybe best MCU movies. We've talked about it a few times on this podcast. So good. Mm -hmm. But they're in passing, he's basically referencing 
what this gun is going to uh, aim at. And it's going to aim at specific targets. Uh, one of them was a Stephen surgeon. Strange. was Doctor Strange. Another yeah. one was uh, apparently Amadeus Cho, um, who we've, I think I've briefly mentioned, but basically uh, is one of the smartest people in the MCU, like like a, a Reed Richards level smart, um, and eventually becomes the Hulk. Yes. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's, that is the way... I see them, ref- like, how they're going to get m- the mutants and the X-Men into current MCU is going to just be subtle references like that. They're going to have to weave it in somehow. They can't just be like, here's the X-Men, drop the mic. They have to start kind of putting those little layers together. And this, I think in this show we're going to get that. Okay, I'll give, yeah. my, I'll give my thoughts real quick on the performances. Then I forgot. There's a big question I forgot to ask you guys. So... I thought they were, like I said, I thought they were, like, ending it on my thoughts, they thought they were perfect, uh, great, I love Elizabeth Olsen in this, she's amazing, give her more stuff outside of Marvel, yeah. she's gonna be great. The question I had, for the children, we hear that chanted a bunch. Yes. Why? <laughs> Does anyone well, know? <laughs> I, I think it has something to do with the fact that she's pregnant at the end, and, Oh, um, all right. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's been a while since I've read these comics, but I do know at some point Wanda envisioned somehow, or I think it's Wanda envisioned, Wanda has two children, two twins, uh, and they grow up to be Wiccan, and do you know who I'm talking about, Al? It's, uh, It's Wiccan, and then it's like a Quicksilver type guy. Um, and they basically become members of the Young Avengers. I, I think they they either time travel or they like age oh, that, that's, that's very from, fast. Yeah, they're from. Uh, yeah, these are like I'm looking at it, and it's like, is it Speed? Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, because I'm looking at this picture, and this is from old like '80s comics. Yeah, they definitely had. Yeah. So in the comics. Um, and um, if you guys like, I don't want to plug other podcasts on this podcast, but if, Done if, it you, haven't, if you haven't already, uh, you should definitely be listening to uh, Binge Mode Marvel, where they're going through the entire MCU leading up to um, Phase Four. So they basically talked about how in the original Vision, the Scarlet Witch run, it was like a four issue. I think there was two series, a four issue series, and then they did a, a twelve issue like limited series, whatever. I think it's in the second series, Wanda and Vision. They um, Wanda basically uses her powers to make herself pregnant. Mm. So that's kind of ripped right from that. Yeah, um, it's it's really interesting, and it kind of just goes back to what Cole's saying about how tragic these characters are. That you know they can't have a normal life, even though that's something they they you know they both desperately want. Okay. Yeah. All right, so was there any uh, any Easter eggs, any final thoughts, anything you guys want to drop, theories or anything before we move on to our final segment? Well, I, I mean, like I said, uh, I mean, I, I feel like her having the two twins, I think that is going to be significant because those twins, I, I just looked it up to remind myself, that they've become this character named Wiccan and this other character, Speed, and they joined the Young Avengers and 
you know, I noticed in a lot of like what they announced for at the Disney investor thing that they are actually now starting to seed in a lot of the young Avengers characters. There's Kate Bishop in Hawkeye. Yep. Uh, there's Scott Lang's daughter, who's now played by the girl from Detective Pikachu and Freaky. Um, they've, they've just like recast her and now she's going to be playing the version of her character where she becomes a, a hero named Stature. Yes, Cassie Lang uh, Stature. Yeah, Cassie Lang. And then there was a couple others. It's been so long since I've read. So that's uh, Catherine Newton. Yes. She's going to be that. And Kate Bishop is played by... Oh, uh, Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld, yes. We should yeah. Also... Ready? One, two, three. Haley Steinfeld. Bow, wow. <laughs> um yeah and i don't know i i feel like they are starting to kind of lay the seeds for a young avengers series i think it'll be a bit different but um you know they they announced they're gonna have riri williams as Ironheart. i could see her yeah becoming a member of that kamala um, khan is kamala. yeah kamala khan is Ms. Yeah, we Marvel. should be getting that we'll get that show next year or well, this year both, both of those shows so there's already an iron heart series uh that's been announced and a miss marvel series yeah but uh, i feel like miss marvel's Dis- been like at least we saw stuff from it uh we saw some set photos i believe um and like maybe one or two official images maybe yeah um yeah no i think cole's totally right um i think you know just like at the end of i believe it was age of Ultron, where they were training the young event, uh, the new Avengers, mm-hmm. we're gonna get. We have to because it just makes total sense. Uh, young Avengers, and what better way than to introduce them through Disney Plus, where you can dedicate dedicate eight episodes to introduce this character, make you care about them, and then you know eventually leading into like a what a twenty thirty Young Avengers movie release. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's totally makes sense. Um, yeah, I. I feel like we're going to get new Avengers and we're going to get young Avengers kind of back-to-back simultaneously. I feel like yeah. that's going to be the future of like what the Marvel movies are going to be looking like. Yeah, I want to know what the Avengers team looks like. I think... I think be, if you're going to be Hercules. That's uh, all I have. <laughs> no, um, it's going to be interesting to see because you know there's still the, the Sony question. Like, what is what is Spider-Man's role in all of this? You know, uh-huh. in the future, um, be interesting to see that. But yeah, no, I think just going back to this, right? This is obviously a lead-in to Doctor Strange Two. Yeah. And if we're talking about the multiverse in itself, right? Like, there's going to be some repercussions from this and Doctor Strange Two that's going to directly lead into whatever the plan is for you know the next two to three phases of the mcu yeah. well i mean it sounds like even with spider-man 3 and i think they've said wandavision things that happen in wandavision are going to have repercussions in doctor strange 2 and he's, spider-man 3 he's going to be in spider-man 3 yes yeah exactly yeah and yeah it sounds like they're doing a spider-verse thing with that because yeah i i, I think it's been confirmed like they're yeah. getting like andrew and toby Back for that. I don't know if anything has been confirmed outside of 
the villain castings, like Jamie Foxx, Jamie Fox, um, sure. Alfred Molina, like those uh, have been confirmed. And I think that everything that's up in the air is Garfield, McGuire, uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil. Like those have just been like yeah. rumored, speculate, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I, I I read that they apparently already filmed Charlie Cox for Spider Man Three. I'm so. so fucking excited. Let's just yeah. talk about this real quick because. Let's talk about Charlie Cox on Boardwalk Empire. He was great. Let's talk about let's talk about uh, Charlie Cox on Daredevil, where he excelled and shined and was great. No, um, I want to talk about just like real quick, and not to just bring this up to just shit on something, but like we, I think collectively as nerds, we're super excited for Wonder Woman eighty four, and we're completely let down, like. I- I wasn't let down, but it definitely wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed it in the same level I enjoyed Batman Forever. Yeah, and it was like weird that that was the the thing that they wanted to do with it. But okay. Yeah. Um, and the only reason I bring it up is just like it just goes to show that we can have an entire podcast talking about two episodes of a show that Marvel produced and we won't give a Wonder Woman 84 the time of day to talk about it for 10 minutes. Like the, the, just the, the, the amount of work and effort and just like, you know that this is made by people who give a shit and it's just, it's just crazy to just see them 10 plus years on making not only quality content, but like getting better. Yeah. It's nuts. Like it's crazy to see that. Like it's almost watch... like they're playing the long game and not tripping over a hundred dollars to pick up a dime like other studios are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it goes goes further than that though. Like Oh, there's obviously... care, yes. Yeah, but like, you know, having someone and I've been saying this forever, is like having someone like Kevin Feige who cares about everything everything like you know that his hand is in all of this because his name's on it and he cares like it just like this is the stuff that he grew up on and loved and now he's getting to do it for a living he's getting to he's getting to adapt the stories that you know made him imagine and is giving that to an audience right kind of like john favreau yeah no favreau's Favreau's who's under his tree Kevin Feige's yeah, tree. Listen, Favreau's doing the exact same thing. The fact that they don't have someone like that doing that for the competitor, you know, I, I always thought... The, my, the distinguished competition? The distinguished competition. I couldn't think of it, sorry. Uh, the way that Stan Lee referenced <laughs> I just got that joke, sorry. Yeah, me too. So, the, I always thought that it was going to be Jeff Johns. I yeah, always I thought... Too. Yeah, because he was in the early 2000s. He was the definitive DC writer. He wrote everything, and he um, he took he reimagined characters. He brought back characters, people that you didn't give a shit about. He made you care about, like yeah, he, he made Green Lantern like a superstar character. Correct. I mean, his events were phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, Sinister Corpse War, Blackest Night. Like, come on, yeah. He brought back Barry Allen. Who was who was dead for like twenty years, right? Yeah. Um, so he literally wrote the characters and still not only couldn't adapt them for live action, but at the same time, is probably not going to be doing much 
later in life in terms of working with these characters and the way that things are happening right now. Yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers investigations and whatnot. Well, so there's no, but the, what I'm trying to say is there's no replacing Kevin Feige. If they, we didn't have Kevin Feige, we would not be on a podcast talking about this show. No. Like it's insane how much influence this guy has had on pop culture um, in the last 12 years. Yeah. It's nuts. Okay. It's nuts. Absolutely. And a guy who I barely had heard of before you start gotten involved with Marvel. Yeah. I don't think anyone did. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he would, I think he got his start working on all the other Marvel movies. Like, I, he worked on Spider-Man and X-Men and Blade, all that, like, he was involved in all that stuff, but he wasn't yeah. really running the show. And well, then somehow he got the chance to finally do that with Iron Man. Well, here's the weirdest thing, and I, I only know this because I'm a, a, a huge, huge Kevin Smith fan. Westfield, New Jersey, by the way. Yeah. yeah and I also wanted to say WandaVision also shouted out my first hometown, Hackensack, New Jersey, in this ep- in the second episode. So I had to put it out there. Nice. Well, here, the, the, the thing that just is crazy and mind-boggling to me is both Kevin Feige and Jeff Johns, who were... Literally, Marvel DC supposed to be on the like the, the same person on both playing fields. Playing fields. They both got their start working for the Donners. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Like, they're basically like the two the two uh, prodigal sons. Yeah. It's and it's just crazy to see how their lives have. Uh, basically become the same person at one point they were like the yeah. same job the title and one just crushed it and the other one is just gonna be forgotten yeah I mean As- to be to be fair though I I feel like I think Kevin Feige was able to succeed doing what he's done with Marvel because when he got when he started out when Marvel Studios was just I, I guess almost like an independent company mm-hmm. uh, that was just distributed by Paramount. When he started doing that, he was working for a studio who their only all, all they cared about doing was making a Marvel movie and you know making the Marvel movie that was right in front of them and then thinking ahead to other ones. I think Jeff Johns has probably had a harder time of it just because. Yeah. DC is not an independent film company. They're a part of Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers, I think, for a long time, have considered, you know, their superhero stuff kind of maybe at best like supplementary to like the real movies that they're making, and not like a whole industry in and of themselves. So it, I, it's a bit of a, a nature versus nurture thing. I think Jeff Johns was in an, yeah. a studio environment that didn't really allow him to take the characters in the direction that he probably would have liked to so much. I, 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 I can't imagine he was at all happy with how Green Lantern turned out. And I, I would have to assume sure. if he had complete control, it would have been more like the Green Lantern comic, which was mm-hmm. terrific at the time. Yeah, no, and I, I 100% agree. But I, I also think it's too, it's just like the two different environments they were in and the mm-hmm. two different people they were. One was a, a storyteller. One was a someone who could create ideas and say like this is what's going to happen to Hal Jordan next and make you say oh yeah. shit this is amazing the other one was just a very 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 good producer yep. yeah. I'm going to find the talent that's going to bring 
what I think is the ideal vision of this character to life. Yeah. And I'm going to make it happen for them. So two guys, different mindsets, like two different complete yeah. mindsets. Also, just just one more thing. I I do think as great as Jeff Johns was as a storyteller in in comics and some of the ways he revitalized comics in the early 2000s and throughout, I think in recent years he's lost that a bit. And I, I don't know, I don't know why. Uh, I, you know, because he got more responsibility. Yeah, he became a Jim Lee. Like he, he yeah, gave him two. They, it was they gave him money, and they said we want you to do other things besides the thing that you were born to do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Kevin Feige was born to produce movies, and Jeff yeah. Johns was born to write stories about superheroes. Yeah, and it's it's two different roles, and you have and also and Cole, you were basically referencing it, it was like Jeff Johns. They're like, hey, Jeff Johns, we want you to make. We want you to write a Green Lantern movie, right? Because you're the best Green Lantern writer right now. We're going to make you do that. We want you to write it. But that's it. We don't want you to do anything else because we got it from here. Yeah. Kevin Feige is the got it from here guy. He's the yeah. top of the, like, he's he, making he, the movies. Yeah, but he's also doing, he, and he does, and now he's moving with the TV shows. And now even everything he touches, even with the rides, everything is filtered through him. Yeah. So it's all the no, same no, no. through line. I know this for a fact. I'm not going to know specifics, but I know that every detail he's involved in, yeah. whether you yeah. think it or not, the littlest thing he's got to say in. And I'll talk about it off. Well, I mean, you, you watch Imagineering. Oh, okay. If you yeah. watch Imagineering, it shows a lot of that. Yeah. The no, it's, it's it's it's. Well, well, it's we'll get these. We'll, We'll get to that. So, guys, uh, I don't. We don't have an official rating system because the parsecs was so, such a layup. Ooh, but ooh, um, ooh, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Give it a second. Mm. Let's go on a scale of one to ten, and we'll come up with something for next week. So, okay. Cole, oh, these two ep uh, episode one scale of one to ten. One being complete garbage. Ten being uh, utter perfection. Uh, I would say it's a solid eight and a half airing towards a nine uh i i thought it was great um my my only real my only complaint really with the series so far is like i kind of wish we had gotten like the first three episodes as opposed to just the first two because i know they had shown like every critic the first three episodes and it sounds like after the third episode like it kind of ends a bit of a story arc going through the first three episodes and a very logical conclusion. So I kind of wish I had been able to watch those all at once. So kind of like looking at the first episode by itself, you know, like I, I'm thinking about it like, okay, what if this was just like a show that I'm just watching, you know, not knowing anything about the Marvel characters or anything like that. And, uh, you know, like it's, it's definitely intriguing, but it, it would be a weird pilot um and I, I don't think unless you know if you have a lot of built-in knowledge you don't really know you wouldn't really discern that much of anything happened in the first episode you would notice that weird things were happening but there's all these like clues and things that would just go right over your head had you not seen the other movies or read the comics so the first episode by itself i think is is very good but you know, kind of without context, it, it, it's a bit of a slow burn for me, I guess. And episode two? Episode two, I, I think, is more of a nine. It just, it, it, it felt like it was, the story was moving along. But 
my only real complaint is I felt like it feels like they're doling out the mystery very slowly and and you know maybe I'll I'll go back and, and watch it and be like oh this was perfectly paced but kind of watching them individually as opposed to binging and I prefer watching things week to week individually honestly but I am now too yeah yeah but uh, <laughs> this one feels like it might have worked better with like some something between a week to week and a binge model I don't, I don't know what exactly that would look like but it, it's because it, the story feels more cinematic to me despite the fact that it's very much leaning into television storytelling but yeah the overall thing feels like okay I feel like I watched the first 20 minutes of a movie of a really good movie mm-hmm. Al episode 1 then episode 2 it's crazy because like I both agree and totally disagree with what Cole said because no because as someone who pays attention to these things like Cole and, and Bill in the sense that like yeah the critics were given the first three episodes there's a reason for that because it's like set up set up big change yeah it's a big it's a big probably cliffhanger esque moment where it's gonna get into the rest of the series. I'm glad as like initial viewers, we only got the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. I think I would have been in your camp had it only been one episode. Yeah. 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 I, I would have been right there. But the reason that we, the, the way we get to see how each episode feels completely different mm-hmm. and each episode is building to something. Yeah. The model totally works. Like this is going to be That's true. a four hour movie. Yeah. Right? And we've learned from stranger things that people want a weekly show because they want to talk about something. Um, it's great to give someone a bingeable show like a yeah. guy, but again, it takes up the conversation for a week as opposed to, two oh, yeah. you know, yeah. so I'm totally for the model. I thought episode one, episode one, I would rate like a nine. And episode two, I would rate an eight. And the reason being is because they nailed the first episode so well that we were laughing at the situational sitcom, like, comedy. It was great. It was very well written. I was laughing at the moments. Nailed it. The only reason I would rate the second episode is because they started introducing the actual plot. Mm -hmm. They started, they took breaks from Bewitched to give you Marvel. And that's not a problem. It's just that they have to do that to get the story across. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is the episode that does it. Now I can judge the next couple episodes as a post-world-breaking like mode, right? So that's why I would rate nine uh, the first episode a little higher. I, I'm going to rank both of them eight and a half, and that's it's not. I don't think that's low by any respects, but I just really. You know, for me, I guess you guys could get a little more because you were a little more in tune with like the comics and some of the stuff. But for me, coming in, someone who's been out of the MCU for a while, I just I ended that first two episodes together, and I was just like, God damn, I'm so happy I have a show to watch every week. Like this was, it hit the weirdness for me. It had that, you know, it was genuinely funny when Paul Bettany has when literally there's gum in the works. When the worst gets gummed up and he's basically acting like he's drunk, it's hilarious. But I yes. also love the fact that it's just like we're also getting peppered with these really creepy 
moments of for the children or why am I here? Like, you know, these that uh, Monica Rambeau says, like, I just love that we can get that balance of just food flying around a kitchen, then Vision having to put his hand through his boss's throat to pull out the, the piece of food he's choking on. Like, I really appreciate how weird we're getting, but also building this, you know, putting this mystery at the center of it that we don't know what's happening. And there's all these avenues we could take. So for me, this was the perfect appetizer, the amuse-bouche of, uh, you know, um, of what this show is going to become. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. all in. And it actually inspires me to want to go watch the rest of the MCU, something I had been out of for a few years, which I think is the point. It's much like Mandalorian was like, oh, I have to go watch Clone Wars and Rebels now. That's the point. So, overall, we're all recommending this show. We're all going to watch next week. We're going to finish it out for sure. So let's do, um, this is not music in a time of quarantine. This is just our recommendation part of the podcast. We're just, you know, going to give a brief recommendation to you guys on something you should watch. I'm going to just kick it off since it's a new uh, segment. I'm going to go with something. I'm going to stick to Disney+. Plus. I'm going to go with Pixar's Soul. Which uh, I watched. So good. It's a very, very good movie. It's very good. really yeah. not. A, it's really not geared towards little kids like most Pixar movies are. As my six-year-old was kind of like, eh, the cat's cute. I'm gonna go watch uh, watch YouTube now, and I'm just like, all right. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, beautifully animated. Uh, I the music is fantastic. Uh, such a great story. Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey are a great one to punch. Um, uh, Graham Norton is amazing. We need him as a cartoon character more often. He was excellent. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's, it's a great story and it's got a great story. It's, it's, it's a story that really adults can, you know, grasp onto about seizing the everyday moment, not having this, your life is not defined by some sort of professional goal it's about the beauty in life is in the small things that you find and don't let it pass you by because you're obsessed with one thing and uh yeah excellent go watch it it's a quick watch pixar does it again uh cole what do you got for us who uh well just watching i've been watching a lot of anime recently which is not something i would uh, admit to most people i i meet uh, but yeah, I've, I've been really watching a lot of anime that I've been meaning to watch, uh, for a long time. Uh, just finished watching a show, uh, called Paranoia Agent, uh, by Satoshi Kon, which came out a long time ago, 2004, but, uh, holds up incredibly well and highly recommended. It's basically kind of like an anime Twin Peaks, but, uh, kind of more like, something you'd see in a Christopher Nolan movie or a Darren Aronofsky movie. It's very psychological and creepy and weird and, and funny. Um, it's it's really interesting. It's got a lot to chew on while you're watching it. Um, and they just released it on Blu-ray. I don't think it's been available in the U.S. for quite a bit of time. Uh, just watched that. I've been watching uh, Lupin the Third, which is this long-running series from Japan. Uh, I'm just trying to make my way through that. Uh, it's fantastic if you love kind of retro 1960s, 1970s uh, heist stuff. It, it's pretty much just all that. Um, 
And me and Kat have also been watching a lot of Miyazaki movies recently. Uh, we watched Howl's Moving Castle, which I had never seen before, but I thought was uh, fantastic. We watched The Wind Rises, uh, which is a lovely movie. We watched uh, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which is a documentary about Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, just watching a lot of that and would recommend it all. It's all worth your time. Al, now, of course, this this part of the podcast could be TVs, movies, podcasts, comic books, music, whatever you want. So what do you got for us? And I, oh. I can imagine it's the trailer for the new Phoenix record, which is coming out sometime oh, this year. My God. I am, like, stupid excited for that. It's it's insane. I remember tweeting about it the year uh, last year saying or begin, either beginning of the last year or the, uh, even before that, if, like, we're at least three years away from a new Phoenix record. So it's good that we're going to finally get some uh, Phoenix. No, I have a bunch of recommendations. I'll go real quick, lightning round. Um, I'm the guy who only did one. I'm usually I, I know. Seven. If you are a book fan and a Star Wars fan, there's a new Star Wars book out uh, written by Charles, Charles Soule, who is a famed comic writer. Uh, it's called... Um, Star Wars The High Republic, Light of the Jedi. It is a trilogy, a uh, planned trilogy, but not only that, it is actually like a crazy Disney multimedia blitz. They are going through um, uh, regular books, young adult books, comic books, TV shows, podcasts, you name it. It is going to be a like multi-channel Star Wars adventure that takes place uh, years, years before the Skywalker saga. So if you're uh, tired of the Skywalkers but want a young Master Yoda, High Republic. Um, so that's books. Uh, comic books, I'll always recommend. You don't have to do favorite. all of them, but okay. Oh, I know. I'm going to do them all. No, I'm kidding. I'm just going to do a couple. Comics. Um, the current run... Chip Zdarsky and uh, Marco Ciacchetto's run on Daredevil is the best thing that Marvel is producing right now. It is phenomenal. Um, oh, you were recommending something about Chip Zdarsky. is like you recommending something about Phoenix. Correct. So, uh, huge Chip Zdarsky fan, uh, but he's actually one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. He's very funny. But on the top of that, he's actually a very talented writer and artist. Uh, he is writing this series. It is some of the best work that Marvel is producing right now. Um, if you're a Daredevil fan or a first-time Daredevil uh, fan, definitely check it out. It's great. Um, and then TV shows. <laughs> I am watching Cobra Kai. I'm a little behind. I'm on season two. Oh. Loving that. Yeah. But I'm watching uh, – I've been watching a lot of reruns. So I get into these weird, like, not depression modes, but I get into these, like, I'm going to put on a TV show because I feel like it's like a nice little blanket. Some of those past shows include uh, American Pickers. Oh, you Storage love Wars, American Pickers. Storage Wars. Those are past ones. Current one, random episodes of Shark Tank. Loving it. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I, those... I, just, I just watched Shark Tank for the first time recently, and I think I'm into it. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. great. Cole, if I'm going to recommend two reality shows for you, it's Shark Tank and, Ho and Holy Moly. Oh, okay. Holy moly, oh, it's you the greatest yeah, that's game right. you show. Did, you did talk about that. Greatest game show of all time. Okay. Get on it. 
Uh, but yeah, right. those are my recommendations. I can't recommend anything else because my wife just takes over the TV and watches Law and Order all the time. Um, Amazing. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm, or I'm just going to talk about wrestling, and no one wants to hear about that. Um, except when I launch my new wrestling podcast. Uh, so we'll do that. Uh, so let's talk about plugs and shows and things and stuff. Let's uh, close it out. Cole, where can people f- follow you on social media if you want them to follow you on social media? Uh, they can follow me on Letterboxd. It's uh, just my name, uh, Cole Rothacker, C-O-L-E-R-O-T-H-A-C-K-E-R. And uh, yeah, you can see all the things I'm always watching all the time on there. Uh, Alphonse, why don't you uh, promote your stuff? Because you are doing some cool stuff on Instagram right now. I'm doing one singular okay thing on Instagram. Um, it is by far the dumbest thing that I've ever done on social media. Which um, is uh, bold statement. Something. Bold statement. Something. Bold statement. I am attempting to post once a day on Instagram from my archives. Um, so far, the first month has been all concert photography. So definitely uh, go check out at Al Manorino on Instagram to see that next month haven't announced it publicly but for the 10 of you listening to this i will say it right here the next month is all going to be comic-con related so we're going to see cosplay photography we're going to see some moments from comic-con years past i've been going to new york and san diego comic-con for six years now i think uh maybe um maybe seven years so definitely uh check out my instagram just for some some highlights of my life pre-COVID-19. It's so funny because I'm looking through all these photos right now, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I got you into all these concerts. Um, <laughs> and um, But the Christ, best... I got ten notifications from you. I know. <laughs> I just liked all of them. Um, but it's the best one still is... Um, my favorite one of the ones you've posted so far is the Interpol one. Most likely second Interpol reference on this podcast um, is because... That day to get you in, that is the hardest I've ever worked to get anyone into a concert ever. Yeah. I was on the phone on a, I was on phone and email all up until you walked into the door mm-hmm. on a Saturday. And we still didn't know if I was approved for a photo pass until I saw it in my, in my little envelope with my ticket. Yeah, that was like nine o'clock on a Saturday. I was, yeah. I, I harangued, harassed, and hustled my way to get you in there. That's I great. still owe about 4,000 favors for that. None of which have been <laughs> cashed in on yet, but, no. you know, glad that was a bucket list for both of us to get that done, which it really was, was awesome. So, Amazing. as for me, uh, I don't know if I ever tweet anything interesting, but uh, mostly just stuff on pop breaks or wrestling these days. Mostly wrestling. Mostly wrestling. Because if it's politics, I'm just going to yell or just lose more family members. Um, it's at Bodkin Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. I only do that on Facebook. Um, but, yes, follow thepopbreak.com every single day. we got some great stuff coming out. Uh, I think I'm going to be reviewing the new Walker, Texas Ranger show starring Jared Padalecki because I watched the Chuck Norris one, so... Let's, Wait, that's a thing. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't realize that was a thing either. To our new TV editor, told me about it. I'm like, I am reviewing that for sure. Um, I'm gonna hate myself on Thursday for watching it, but hey, this is what I do for the site. So check out thepopbreak.com every single day at popbreak.com, all spelled out on Twitter at the pop break on Instagram. Of course, like I said, uh, this podcast can be found on Apple, Google, Anchor, and uh, Spotify. 
Uh, we also have Pop Break TV, which you could follow on those same platforms. We've got a whole bunch of different shows under that category. Uh, Live, Laugh, and Lovely, Bird Watchers, um, Anniversary Brothers, Goodbye to All That, TV Break. Of course, check out the Breakcast, which is our other uh, podcast uh, you know, series. We have a whole bunch of random shows under that. Uh, that's on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And, uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in. For our first installment of the WandaVision review series, we'll come up with a clever name next week. Uh, so for our esteemed guest, Cole Rothaker, uh, for Al Manorino, my name is Bill Bodkin. Thanks for tuning in to the season premiere. We can't wait uh, for 2021 to be way better. <laughs> <laughs>